Hi, I'm Jerry Grant, and this is a show we're calling Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark, the voice of the University of Delaware. I'm interviewing some of my fellow WVUD jocks to find out what path they took to arrive here at the radio station. We'll talk about their earliest experiences with music and radio and how those experiences inform their own show currently on WVUD. Today's guest is Dave McKenzie, Chief Engineer here at WVUD. Dave? Uh, Good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it might be when this is playing. Nice. Thanks for coming down. Thank you. Why don't you give us a brief description of what you do here as Chief Engineer of WVUD? Well, as the engineer of the radio station, I'm in charge of making sure all the equipment works, installing uh, and repairing any piece of equipment, and also training all the people on how to use the equipment. Good. And how long have you been here? I've been here um, in my current job about 22 years. And that's as a professional paid engineer? That is correct. And then you were also here as a student? I was back in the 70s when it was on uh, Carrier Current, WDRB. Start out just by saying, where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in North Wilmington and went to Mount Pleasant High School. So I've been in the area my entire life. And where'd you go to school after Mount Pleasant? Well, uh, I went to Mount Pleasant and then I came here to the University of Delaware. Between full and part-time, I uh, got a degree in electrical engineering here at Delaware. How about when you were growing up? Was radio a part of your early years? Well, it was. In our kitchen was a red RCA tube table radio that sat there and it played from the moment my mother got up until sometime about seven or eight o'clock at night when she shut the radio off. So every day we had, and the station was WDEL, which was playing middle of the road music back in those days. I I remember it well. Bill Harleman in the morning. I don't know. What what, what, do you you remember uh, any of the jocks or anything or any? uh... Uh, Well, Bill Harleman and Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Reeves was the news person because he was a friend of my dad's. Oh, Okay. And that had gotten me into the station as a kid to go play in studios. Ah, what did your father do for a living? Uh, my dad ran an advertising agency here in Wilmington, Delaware. And they would do newspaper and radio advertising for various local clients. And occasionally that required uh, going out to the radio station to uh, deliver or even uh, voice uh, commercials. You mean you would star in some of the commercials? No, I never starred in them, but I just generally tagged along. And while they were working in one studio, they would just put me in another studio to babysit myself and uh, just sat there and played with the studio equipment. Very good. Very good. Now, DEL has always been up on Falk Road? Shipley Road. Or Shipley Road, I'm sorry. 2727 Shipley Road. The radio on the kitchen table, did that hold any fascination for you? Well, radio did in that I remember as a kid uh, building a crystal set and listening in my basement to uh, WDEL on the Crystal Set. It was a a very strong station in the area, so it was about the only thing the Crystal Set would get. I can even remember uh, uh, the song that played on the Crystal Radio. What was it? Song Sung Blue. By Neil Diamond. Mm Mm-hmm. And how old were you when you built your Crystal Set? I would probably nine or ten, somewhere in there. I don't know, you'd have to look up the year that song came out. And and another song (laughs) that played over that Crystal Set was on Broadway. Uh, it was not the one by... Uh, well, George Benson might have had a hit with it back n- yeah, then. Yeah, but before that. The, the Drifters. The Drifters, yeah. Sure. Did you listen to Whams at all? 
A little bit. A little bit on a portable uh, RCA transistor radio out in the driveway, hanging around with other kids, listen to whams. But generally in the house, you know, the, the radio was locked on to that channel uh, with WDEL. Sure. And uh, it's one of those uh, lock it in and break the knob off kind of things. That's that's what my parents listened to. Because it, well, it served a function because it was morning. I mean, in the morning it was morning drive and it was time right. and temperature. Right. It was, it was the news. It was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Voice of the People was the talk show that was on during dinner time. Right, right. I remember that. And I made a joke earlier about the call for cash jackpot. Was that still on? Oh, sure, yes. Um, As a matter of fact, I answered the phone one day as a little kid, and it was call for cash jackpot. And I had hung up the phone when I went to get my mother. (laughs) Your whole life could have been different. I should say that the, the call for cash jackpot in my era was like eleven or twelve dollars. Yeah, I think it was yeah, uh, some right. you know small amount, but right. uh, mm-hmm. but no, I uh, I didn't participate properly in that program. Right, rule number one: just put the phone down. Okay, very good. Well, that's cool. Uh, how about in the house? Was there a record player in the house, or a piece yes. of furniture, or a record player, whatever? Yeah, there was a portable uh, box RCA uh, record player. I didn't have many records though. As a child, they gave me records, which I, you know, which I didn't pick out, which included things like uh, the Carnival of the Animals uh, and Peter and the Wolf as classical music pieces. Right, right, um, right. Or some of the things I listened to. And then I remember the first piece of vinyl I bought, which was Steely Dan, uh, Do It Again. As a 45? Or? As a 45. Was, was that record player you had, was that 45s only or was it LPs and 45s? It was LPs and 45s. Okay. So you go to high school. Did you get any uh, radio experience there? I did. The, uh, I went to Mount Pleasant High School, which when I got there had a radio station that was just starting up on FM, all of 10 watts. And uh, I got involved there. And I did some shows there. And I also helped build studios and, and do you know work on the equipment uh, as uh, they had no... Other than a faculty advisor who was an English teacher, they had no one on the staff that knew anything about radio at the at the high school. So the students took it upon themselves to to get their own licenses. Back then, you had to be licensed to be on the air. So you had to get uh, up to Philadelphia, and we take the train up and go sit before the FCC and take your third class FCC license test with elements one, two, and nine. And a written test. A written test. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody at the station, at the time, the students in the first year that put it on, one of the students went up and got his first class license. It was Every station was required to have at least one first class license. So the person was named John Black, and he went up and he got the first class, and he was the person technically, technically in charge of the radio station. It, this makes me wonder, uh, since you, you had a radio station up there, and they had an English teacher running it. But how, how did they first get their equipment? Do you know the history of it at all? Or? As I uh, John Black and some of the other students uh, were technically adept and knew what to get. And they solicited for donations from manufacturers. And I remember uh, we got a donation of a few thousand feet of underground gopher cable from Times Wire and Cable Company. It came on a truck on giant spools that are like, like you'd use for uh, coffee tables, those big spools. Right. And it was like five of those giant spools of cable were donated. 
and uh, other pieces of equipment were donated. And between that and the students fundraising and buying things, uh, they were able to uh, come up with the money to buy the transmitter and the original console. Wow, that's a lot of money, isn't it? It it was, uh, and every year the radio station would do a fundraiser that they called uh, Marathon, and during Marathon they would raise uh, be on the air for 102 hours straight over a holiday weekend, usually over Thanksgiving weekend, and they'd be on and raising money for, through call-in donations to uh, get the funds to buy equipment for the next year. Wow. So you'll have to educate me, but so the gopher cable, what's the function of the gopher cable? Well, we used it in two ways. It was a, it, it's a, um, a cable that was heavily armored and very thick, and we laid a piece of it from the radio station all the way out to the baseball field, uh, buried a trench underneath all the, the school property all the way out there so that we could broadcast uh, baseball games. We ran another piece of cable through the entire school, through the basement and through all the internal guts of the school, all the way to the other end of the school. And then, uh, since it's such a heavy cable, we ran it across airily between the top of the school and the top of the uh, press box at the football stadium, and we could broadcast football from there. We also ran chunks of that cable to the uh, auditorium, to the cafeteria. So we had essentially our own audio network throughout the school for, to the basketball courts, both uh, men's and women's basketball uh, gymnasiums, so that we could broadcast from any of those locations just by carrying a little portable mixer out there and hooking it up and then turning it on on the board. So we were remote from anywhere in the school. Wow. So the administration was very liberal in their approach to letting you do what you wanted to do. They were. Our faculty advisor was very hands-off, and uh, we made good friends with the uh, head of the uh, maintenance facility for the building. And were, uh, since they had given us a, uh, a piece of a garage that they had walled off down in the basement of the school that uh, we turned into studios. So we were able to run from that space in, in the bowels of the school through all the steam tunnels to the other parts of the school to get all these cables through, which we did one summer over a summer when no one was around. Now, is this, this is the early 70s? It was. Uh, it was uh, 72, 73. So is this, and this is when the station started? I mean, obviously. Or yes. I wasn't there at the first couple years. Uh, I got there, uh, maybe they'd been on a year and a half when I got there. Okay. And it was John Black's idea. Yes. Uh, and um, among other, there were a few other people. And Ron Krauss was another one of those early people. And he was the engineer at the station when I got there. And then Ron came down here. And then Ron came to Delaware and then recruited me down here from there. Great. Were you doing regular programming? Or not you? And Were the students doing I, regular programming? Yes. Or, uh, mm -hmm. I had um, two shows. One show was my show, which was just uh, general pop music. And then... Uh, one of the other uh, students had not gotten his uh, FCC license, so they needed somebody else to help them run their show. So I ran another show, which was hard jazz, uh, Maravishnu Orchestra and Sun Ra and that oh. sort of music. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. late at night. And yes. so I got a little bit of an education into that. And then at the same time, uh, the high school had what's something called Springerum which was the last two weeks of school. 
they would not have normal classes. They would have special classes. Teachers would teach interesting little subjects, uh, little life skill things. And your option was you could either go to those classes or you could have an internship outside of the uh, school and go to that internship for those that time. So each year for two, two of the years, I went out to different um, uh, radio stations to do internships. The first year I went to WTUX, which is a station that no longer exists. It's, it was 1290 in Wilmington, which is now the ticket, which is a sports automated program. Mm-hmm. But back then it was big band. And uh, my dad's friend, uh, Dick Holmes, was the program director. So I, he'd arranged for me to come in for two weeks and work at the radio station. And what happened was the afternoon person was going to be on vacation that week. So they would have me sit in and run the board for the afternoon show. They gave me the stack of records and the stack of carts to play commercials. And the newsman would come on and do the news so I didn't have to talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I got a show on WTUX as a high school student. Wow, cool. So then after that week was over, they asked me, did I want a permanent show? And I said, sure. And then they offered me all of Sunday, sign on to sign off Sunday. And I said, I don't want to do that. But can I get a second person? And we'd split the day in half. And they and they said, well, depending if we agree, you know, we like the other person that you're going to send our way. And they did. So I and someone else split the entire day Sundays for years on WTUX. Was that a syndicated program? It it was a lot of different things. There were live church services. There were taped church services and there were live in studio shows. Reverend Elijah Beckham, which was a religious program and then Polish variety program. Uh, Ziggy Gorson Variety Show, all these different shows where the, uh, the people came in live and you uh, produced the show for them and they just spoke on the microphone during their shows. The Ziggy Gorson, I can remember his, he had a booming voice, a resonant bass voice. He, his show was primarily classical and uh, Israeli music. And was he a butcher? He was. He owned a uh, meat, Wilmington Boneless <clears throat> Beef was a... Uh, company that he owned on South Market Street in Wilmington. So that was baptism by fire. I mean, you're, you're doing a lot of different things at one time, you know, at, 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 right. in one swoop. So that was the first year of my uh, Springerham internship. The next year I went to WAMS and uh, I interned with the chief engineer there. So I spent an, a week doing engineering duties. WAMS, which was a much more intensive engineering station than WTUX. WTUX was non-directional. It had little studios and... and I'm sorry, what's that term you're using there? Non-directional. AM stations, some of them have a pattern that's like a circle that goes equally in all directions away from the tower. And directional stations, they put up multiple towers to steer the signal so it only goes in certain directions. Those stations have to have full-time engineers that are monitoring that pattern to make sure that it doesn't interfere with other stations on the same frequency. So it was a much more intense engineering operation. So I got to learn a lot more and do a lot more in the engineering department when I was there. So this is the mid seventies now, or this would be uh, nineteen seventy four, seventy five. And who were the jocks there then? Do you recall, or who 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 were your supervisors there? 
Uh, Tom Summers was the program director. Uh, Mitch Hill was on the air. Right. Dave Banks was on the air. Jim Stoddard was doing news. And uh, Matt Lakovich was doing news. So those were some of the names I remember. Good. Matt was a best mate of mine at East Louisiana. Great. So that's your junior and senior year at high Mount school, Pleasant. Right. So then after high school, I got involved with a, a band doing sound and lighting for a band. Spent the entire uh, couple years doing that. Well, what band? Uh, the name of the band was Cypress. Had 11 pieces. It had a four-piece horn section, guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, lead singer. It was a big band. Wow. And then we had two guys, myself and someone else, doing sound and lighting for them. So they played nightclubs or weddings or what? Uh, A little of everything. We played the Stone Balloon. We played a lot of uh, clubs in New Jersey. Did a lot of Catholic high school proms throughout uh, Pennsylvania area, Philadelphia area. And one summer, uh, I went off and did a traveling roadshow tour of Godspell as the director of sound. Wow. How'd you get that gig? Where we were rehearsing was a Catholic school auditorium. Do you remember which? Uh, St. Alinas. Sure. And because we were there, the deal was that we had to provide our equipment if they wanted to do something. So they put on this traveling production uh, that went all over up and down uh, Maryland Eastern Shore and different places and uh, put on this show of Godspell. And it was a very professional show. The lead was John Dossett, who you may, uh, he was also the lead in many of our high school productions at Mount Pleasant. And he, um, you may see him from time to time on Law and Order and other uh, Broadway shows that he's been in throughout his life. So he's a professional actor. Oh, wow. But he was one of the stars of our show. And then the members of the band were also in the pit orchestra for the show. So it was. Oh, wow. It was a summer tour of Godspell. That's great. So, so is this after high school and before college or? Uh, yes. Did you take some time off be- no, in between that? No, that was in the summer between high school and college. At the same time, uh, during that summer, one of the reasons I did it is that WTUX was sold. I was losing my job. So I just, at the end, at the begin- end of the school year, just stopped the, with the uh, WTUX and went off and went on this uh, tour doing Godspell. In the fall, when I got, came back and went to Delaware, I got a call from Ron Kraus, and he wanted me for two reasons. One, he told me WJBR would like me back. And that was the parent of TUX? The, the, uh, WTUX was purchased by WJBR, and I wasn't there during the whole summer when they moved the station. And the other half, the other person that was still doing the, the show, uh, he stayed, continued on, and helped with the move and everything and was on the air there and he had recruited Ron Krause to be that to replace me uh, while I was away doing my other uh, so I never right. met the new owners I never you know signed on as an employee when the transition happened mm-hmm. so but later in the fall they said hey we'd like to have you back who was the other person by the way uh, Steve Bailey okay. he's a prominent lawyer here in Delaware now I was going to say okay all right, so you accept the offer from JBR. I start working there 
only my shift is is going to be a different shift in that they already have somebody doing the Polish program and the uh, Ziggy Gorson show and all of those things are already uh, handled. So they want me to do an automation shift on the station. So uh, they have both an AM and an FM station and both of those stations were automated, which in the at the time meant a big wall of equipment with uh, tape recorders and players and uh, something called carousels that played all of the uh, music and uh, commercials. Uh, and it was computerized. So they wanted me to work on that system. You just wait for the system to make an error? or Well, you had to, uh, you had to load it and program it. And then I uh, got to the point where not only was I loading and programming, I was repairing it. So I eventually became the chief engineer there because I knew how to uh, work on all the equipment. But meanwhile, you're, you're getting your education well, in, in the classrooms. At, at, at the same time, um, I switched from full-time at University of Delaware to part-time and then started at WJBR full-time. So I was, I'd flipped roles and instead of being part-time in my job and full-time at school, I went to full-time in my job and part-time at school which meant it took an, a longer time to graduate, but I was paying cash for my education and I came out without any student debt. Good for you. Now, were you affiliated with U of D radio station at that point also? Well, yes. That same summer when I came back and started at Delaware, the radio station was looking to go FM. They had recruited two of us, uh, myself and Tony Peone. And Tony was, uh, he had gotten his first class license and he was the licensee for the Mount Pleasant station until he graduated. By that time, I had gotten my second class license and then moved on and got my first class license. But during that time, Tony became the engineer for WDRB, which was a carrier current station here at the University of Delaware, which meant it only could be heard on AM inside of buildings that were wired for it which was the, mostly the dorm buildings on campus. Right, right. And, but the goal of the students is they wanted an FM station. So uh, between Ron Krauss and Pete Simon and some of the other early people, they worked with, with and against <laughs> the administration here at Delaware to lobby to get an FM station. Since the people at Mount Pleasant already done it before and they did it on their own, they knew how, the students knew how to do it. They knew who, who to hire, what lawyers, what technical engineering firms, everybody they needed to hire to, to put on an FM radio station. It's already, it had already been done uh, several years before at Mount Pleasant. So here are the same people coming to Delaware saying, we can turn the crank and do it again. That's quite a legacy. So I got involved with the station. Uh, Tony Peone got involved. He became the chief engineer for WVUD and then WXDR. And uh, he and his brother, his brother, he had an older brother who was uh, trained in military communications in the Army. Uh, They actually built the station over the summer. Once they got their FCC license, he and his brother came in and they installed the tower and the transmitters and put the station together and put it on. Tony and his brother actually assembled a small tower on top of the uh, Christiana Towers and put the antenna on it. Just for listeners who may not be listening from who may be listening from afar, but Christiana Towers are two, 18 story, I think. One's 17, one's 18. 18 right. Yep. Uh, dormitories that were built in the early 70s, mid 70s. That's what we're talking about. 
so while Tony was the uh, transmitter and studio engineer, I took on the role of training director for the station back in the 70s. So I trained many of the DJs that were on the air, at first students and then also community members that came through. I remember training Jose Prado, uh, Neil Payne, and quite a few other people. How come you never trained me? I don't know. Maybe your hours didn't, because I only had a few hours to, you know, during the day when I would be in the station between uh, uh, working part-time uh, at, at college and then full-time up in Wilmington. Uh, I was only there certain hours of the day. So if you weren't there during right. my hours, you'd never meet me. I'm pretty sure I have a license on file somewhere here. Good. Well, they aren't needed anymore, so. Oh, they aren't? Okay. No. Well, maybe I don't. All right. Well, great. So then so then you're in need of, of employment. So I get out of radio. I go and work for a friend of mine that owns a mechanical and electrical contracting company. And I become do, uh, work, in, uh, working, work in the electrical in industry, doing things with my electrical engineering degree, uh, working uh, at the Sibagaygi plant, which was in Newport, Newport. at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, working in industrial engineering. Didn't like the job. Okay. It was the, the plant uh, was dirty and it made uh, red dye and that red dye got into everything. So <laughs> I really didn't want to work there. So when I saw an ad in the news journal uh, classified section for uh, a station looking for an engineer, I jumped on the opportunity and came and uh, applied here at the University of Delaware. And you were already a known quantity. True. Um, and uh, the person I'd re replaced here, Rich McGuire, uh, had worked uh, as a, a fill-in engineer for me when I was at uh, WJBR. And he had also done engineering at WDEL. So it's a small community. We kind of all knew each other. Right, right, right. So this is, is this 98, 99? Or, or? Uh, this was 1996. Okay, good. And you got the job. I, I, 95, 96, I got the job here. And by this time we were WVUD, are we? we? Uh, yes. When I came back, uh, the university had, uh, under, under the request of P uh, David Rosell, who was the president, uh, changed the call letters to WVUD. Right. He, he wanted to have uniform branding within the university <clears throat> so that, um, everything had UD in it. Right. And so, uh, Everything had UD in it. So the jokes at the time were that we could have gotten, I think VUD came from the University of Dayton, I think. That is mistaken. correct. The president of the University of Dayton offered it to uh, David Roussel. Oh, how about that? I remember the other the other choices were WUDE, which people thought we didn't want to be known as Wood Radio. <laughs> and then the other one was WUDR which people would laugh at the way we people laugh at the way we say water already. So uh, we didn't want to encourage that. Well, that's how about that? That's cool. Right. So you've been here ever since I have. Well, Dave, I think that's it. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much. Sure. Thanks for coming down. Thanks for having patience with uh, students and community members with the equipment. I'm speaking from personal experience. And, and I'll uh, remind you to sign out when you're done. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Thanks, Dave. But you're not continuously here at U of D, right? No. When I graduated from the University of Delaware, um, I continued on as my job of, as chief engineer of WJBR in Wilmington. 
And then that station was purchased by a New York company. And uh, shortly after they purchased the station, they named me director of engineering for the entire chain of stations. Oh, how many did that include? It was 11 locations up and down the East Coast from Florida to Connecticut. So I was on the road quite a lot, uh, traveling between Florida, North Carolina, Huntington, West Virginia, Allentown, Pennsylvania, uh, Charlotte, all over the, you know, uh, uh, up in Connecticut, uh, uh, White Plains, New York, all these different locations where the the company owned radio stations and I would manage the other engineers. Did you enjoy that? I did. I, I, I racked up a lot of frequent flyer miles, which I still have some. <laughs> ah. Well, that's neat. So how, so how long did that job last? That lasted until uh, uh, Clear Channel took over. Clear Channel uh, came in and bought out all the stations. And they had, and actually, to back up a second, uh, an investor knew that Clear Channel was coming. So he bought the station, figuring that he would make money reselling the station to Clear Channel. Mm -hmm. And when he bought it, he had his own staff. So at that point, uh, I was let go. I wasn't needed anymore since that intermediate owner had his own staff of engineers. That intermediate owner lasted about a year or two, and then Clear Channel came in and bought all the stations. I feel like we should just make the distinction, because we've talked about Clear Channel stations earlier in this series, but by, the, by then it's usually some one of us listening to a, to a clear channel station back in the 50s or ah, 60s. Yes, why right. don't we make that decision, differentiation? The FCC has a designation for stations that are 50,000 watt AM stations that is the only station allowed on that frequency at a time. So that with that high amount of power, and being the only station in the country, or at least half of the country, uh, that was on, you could hear it anywhere within a thousand-mile radius at night. And that were nicknamed clear channel stations because it was the only station on that channel at night so that somebody could listen to a station like... uh, uh, WBZ in Boston was a clear channel. You could listen to that uh, all the way down to North Carolina. Right, right. So CAU in Philadelphia. CAU in Philadelphia. There were a handful of these stations throughout the country. You could listen to one out of Chicago, one out of Charlotte had one. Um, Atlanta had one. Mm -hmm. So uh, Nashville had. uh, So each, each of these stations would be the only station on that frequency at night. Sure. And then a company came and along. And then a company came along and named themselves Clear Channel Communications as just the corporate name of the company. Right. And that's the company that came in and bought out over 3,000 radio stations in the U.S. all in one uh, swoop. Under the Clinton administration, they did away with the ownership limit rules. So right. that now that uh, they could own multiple stations in the market, back in the day... There was the rule of seven, 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 seven. You could own seven AMs, seven FMs, and seven TVs in the country, and that was it. And now one company owns over 3,000. And uh, any milestones here that you want to mention? Or uh... Well, uh, I've built all the studios. The studio we're sitting in now I have built. Uh, uh, we've re- upped the power of the station. When I g- got here, it was 1,000 watts. 
and now it is uh, 6,800 watts. So we did a power increase. Uh, we replaced the transmitter, the antennas. We've uh, gone to HD radio. So we have quite a few improvements through the years. Good, good. Excellent. Um, let's just pause here for a minute and say we've got like 35 minutes or 38 minutes already. So we have plenty. Um, anything that you want to talk about or anything you want to say? No, not really. No, not really. Uh, right. Okay. So, um, have any of your, uh, have any of your students here gone on to great, do great things in radio or otherwise, or you don't want to name any names or do you? I'm trying to think of, you know, Mm -hmm. people through the years, um, there are some people that are out there, but they weren't under me, like Matt O'Donnell from Channel 6, but he was in that interim time when I wasn't here. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, Sean Green. Sean Green. Uh, who else? Uh, Dustin Bixby, who is not in this area. He's uh, with Atlantic Motors, uh, uh, the uh, – Atlanta Motorsports. Uh, he d- does uh, NASCAR down in Atlanta, uh-huh. uh, and he, he was also doing hockey, uh, uh, ice hockey uh, broadcasting down in that region. Um, Brian Smith, who's with the Flyers. Oh, right, right, right. He's on the F- Flyers broadcast team. Uh, was one of my students. Um, Matt Janis, the voice of. Uh, the Blue Rocks. Oh, that guy. That guy. Very animated. Yes. Uh, very. Oh, okay. He was, you know, I taught him everything he knows. Wow. You know, we spent a lot of time. Uh, to, I spent, at that time, we had just gotten our first digital editing uh, station. And he he was a early adopter of that. Huh. Is he is he the like the, the stadium announcer or the radio announcer or? Well, I think he's their head of uh, pu- public relations at this point. I don't think he's the uh, current announcer, but I, I I do see him in videos that they produce. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I think we'll wrap it up. I mean, do you have any philosophical observations about WVUD or, or your life as an engineer? Or, Ooh, you're asking me to get philosophical. <laughs> hmm. um, well, I'll say, I'll say in advance, I'll say some people have just ended with like just thanking the university. I mean, I don't want to get this to be too kiss-assy, but, you know, thanking the university for the opportunity to play their kind of music or something like that or, uh, or just thanking – the people they've met, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I've never really done a show here. I do fill in from time to time in that a lot of times when people sh- don't show up, I'll go in and I'll uh, pick some things, play some things, keep the station rolling, but I'm not specifically on the air doing a show. But uh, I do enjoy uh, listening. I enjoy all of the uh, people that I interact with here. At, it, it is a family of sorts with all of the different community members and students and uh it has it's it's a a fabulous place to uh, interact and uh uh couldn't have, couldn't think of a better career good good i should have asked you just in case here besides te- teaching the students here and i should say the community members here how to 
how to run the equipment and stuff. Do you teach, do you have a university teaching function at all or no? Um, I have from time to time uh, uh, taught scuba here on campus. I'm a scuba instructor also. Oh, I was going to ask you what scuba stood for, but now I realize you're talking about actual scuba diving. Scuba diving, that is correct. Oh, do you want to talk about that for a minute? It probably won't make the final cut, but no. Okay, okay, good. All right, well, good. Well, you've been listening to Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD. These shows are part of longer interviews I conducted over the past few years, so some of the times and dates mentioned are not current. I hope to have the complete interviews available as podcasts in the near future. Tune in next Monday at 8.30 a.m. for another edition of Disc Jockey Confidential.